early 2000s, I lied on top of a roof in a favela in Brazil. It is one of the largest favelas or mass ghettos in the world, in a city of 25 million people, in a sprawling urban center that seemed to go on forever. I lived for uh, two years in favelas. I talked to my family twice a year. For only a half an hour, about an hour, I spoke basically exclusive Portuguese and I lived with Brazilians. I was definitely not on vacation. It was not a business trip. Um, I was there to live with them and to serve them. And they, Brazil had become my home. It had become everything to me. I no longer even thought in English anymore, nor dreamed in English. Basically, by the end of the two years, had forgotten what America really looked like or felt like. I wasn't on the internet. And as I lied there in this massive favela, all of the uh, electricity and utilities Ha are stolen and houses are just randomly ad hoc built on top of each other and towering homes and people just kept building up and up and up. And so as we lied on this roof at night, listening to the sounds of the favelas, kids, people running around, uh, firecrackers or gunshots, you never knew which, we looked up, the favela sat in a, in a uh, almost like a hole. And on the edge of this ginormous almost crater, there were these huge towers and these towers had a had spiral spiral pools that stuck out at every single level going up to the sky my friend who is a brazilian we lied down there and we loved sitting out on the roof in, in our favela at night and he turned to me and he said you belong there not down here and i looked over and was like what are you talking about? I belong right here um, with you. This is where we are. And he said, no, you're an American. And he said, after your time is up here, you will leave. You'll go back to America where you will be as what he would call a, like a prince. And he said, uh, over time, you will have a home, family. You'll chase your dreams. You will forget about us here in the favela where we will never leave nothing will ever change as i looked up i hadn't thought about it like that i loved the favela frankly and the brazilian people and everything else uh, that was that was my home but he was right this was the stark contrast and reality of brazil where you had poverty and then very few uh, wealthy people. There's no middle class at all. No matter how much I thought of myself uh, as a Brazilian that just stuck out like a sore thumb, because uh, I don't look obviously Brazilian at all, I was not. I was an American, and he was right. There was nowhere for him to go. They were never leaving the favelas. There was no system set into place to allow for that. In fact, it was the opposite. And upon coming home, as I landed 
and drove through big, spacious neighborhoods with greeneries, huge houses um, that even if they weren't huge, they looked huge to me, and sprawling lawns, people out playing, have their cars. Middle-class America was wealth. It was something that was unimaginable from where I had just come from. This was a hard thing for me to work with when I got home. Why were our lives so different? Why did so much of the population and so much of the world live in conditions that were frankly unimaginable? The realization that there was no opportunity, it wasn't going to change, it never would. There was not even hope. It was just known and accepted. Where when I came home, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to start businesses. I wanted to invest. I wanted to go to college. And I knew that all of those opportunities were real. And I knew that, frankly, I could achieve them and probably do that working a fraction of the time as those stuck in those conditions. This is a very gaping contrast in the world. And it can be confusing to people why such contrasts even exist. It doesn't seem like they should at all. And it is vastly unfair. When I got home, I became obsessed with this stark difference. Um, it made me really ponder, was it even right to have so much? Was it moral? And was it okay to even live how I was living while others were not? Um, upon coming home, it became more of a set of awareness and gratitude, a perspective of what could be if I wanted it to be. And that glimpse, that opportunity alone is so rare in the world. Now, today, there's a lot of people talking about how capitalism is dead. It's gone. How capitalism is inherently bad. How capitalism is an evil or it is doing the evil in the world. Now, this podcast is not political. I don't want it to be. Um, I'm not stating any political stances. In fact, capitalism is not politics. And I think that we're going to cover some things and there's a lot of misconceptions about what capitalism is or isn't, um, what that means. America's warped it into something strange and political, saying capitalism is either right or Republican and uh, more socialism is left or communism. And it's, that's just that's not how it works. It's not true. Um, I think that 
being in a na- nation that is so vastly wealthy that it's unimaginable to 90% of the whole entire world, um, that has given us so much, uh, but it has also come with issues and problems where uh, we forget. And when I, I try to be very pragmatic and I try to look at data and numbers and I try to take time to make any consensus or decisions on things and I'm always open to change my mind and I love learning more about the world how it works and the people in it in this podcast we will cover and have conversations that are long forum conversations about how individuals within the system that we are in can both take control over their own lives and thrive. For all of my listeners out there that were used to the podcast, we are not taking anything away. We are adding more. What does that mean? I am trying to go deeper, have better conversations, and not be surface level with content. I want to expand upon what was already there and make it that much better. I don't want to just jump around issues. I want it to be meaningful. I want it to be interesting. And I want it to be unleashed. I hope that through this long forum discussion and tackling relevant issues and issues that maybe I would have stayed away from previously, which I'm not going to do anymore, that we will accomplish that and make this podcast that much better of an experience and education for you as well as for me. When we're talking about capitalism, I am talking about it on an individual level. And I'm gonna get into here real quick and we'll we'll talk about it more, but this is a individual issue. The separation and what is capitalism and what is not capitalism first out of the gates does not mean America. Capitalism, in its simplest form, refers to an economic system which allows individuals to privately own and use capital. Capital is the means of production, including resources of property, technology, knowledge, goods, services, which are used to produce. Capital is a macroeconomic, uh, capital in a macroeconomic data is often referred to as fixed capital. Okay. In the 21st century, all countries to, are capitalists to some degree. Now, I want to talk about in this overall to set, set the stage and to show why I'm, this is not actually a political statement. Uh, I think most people would be stunned by, first and foremost, what to what degree countries are capitalist or not and what that means. At the end of the day, though, capitalists... Capitalism is an individual thing. It is individually having the rights and ability to own and produce capital and its use for production and growth. That's really it in its simplest form. Now, governments that overlay and utilize capitalism have different structures which change how capitalism works. And American capitalism is the most unique. And American capitalism was something completely new that the world had never seen. 
it took capitalism and basically unchained it and led the largest wave of growth, progress, prosperity, freedoms, and liberal rights and thinking that the world has ever seen. Does that mean it's perfect? No. Um, we will actually break down things that are, are going on, and we want to have open discussions on the downsides, the upsides. But once again, more importantly, how you work within the system, how you save capitalism for yourself individually, how you are using capitalism to benefit you, how you are using it to take control, to liberate yourself, to create freedom and progress within your personal life. Because at the end of the day, for me, capitalism is an opportunity that you can or cannot take advantage of. It is not a right. It is not a given anything. It is your underlying ability to have and use capital. That's it. So when we look at especially American capitalism, the first thing is America is not the most capitalist country at all if you're looking at a simple metric for capitalism, okay? So a metric of socialism can be purely defined as the government total of expenditures as percentage of the country's gross domestic product, meaning how much of that country's gross domestic product, right? Um, and uh, expenditures coming from the government. So how much of that is being utilized? Because at the end of the day, true socialism is the control of capital away from the individuals up at the government. So the larger of percentage um, that that has, obviously the more socialistic you are. Now, when you look at it that way, America sits in actually the bottom um, the United States and China uh, that account for more than 35% of the entire glo global GDP of the world, America sits in the lower half, meaning it is more socialized than 50% of the developed countries as a percentage of total government involvement within the country as that expenditure of GDPs work. Now, the farthest ones that it would be considered more capitalistic as far as government involvement within within the economy would be places like Singapore um, the United Arab uh, uh, nations we have places like India um, and others now we will get into a discussion here and we will talk about growth economies capitalism and structures and what follows what. Now, at the end of the day, there is a direct correlation with how much the government involvement in is with the economy and how fast that economy will grow. People say, well, some socialized countries grow faster than capitalist countries, but what they're talking about is political things. They're not talking about the actual government size and how much it takes. And at periods of time, that structure, yes, you, you could be more socialized and grow faster than not. But over the long period, out of high growth cap uh, countries, if you simply took out of all the top a 50%, cut it right in half, the percentage of GDP 
that the government uses. The lower half, meaning the less, so the more capitalistic versus the higher, the government more takes up more of the GDP. Um, that lower half uh, are high growth countries. The United States is not one. So high growth countries, socialist, meaning that's over the 50% mark in um, GDP, um, taken up uh, expenditures of the government by GDP. Uh, three of those countries are high growth, while 17 are capitalist. Now, if you flip it around, low growth, um, 17 fit under that, means that the uh, government expenditures to GDP is higher than that 50 uh, uh, of the rest of those other ones. 17 would be considered socialist by that means, right? And three are capitalists. So the government's involvement of capital in the economy does have obviously a direct reflect on the use of capital within the economic system, which does result in high growth, low growth, okay? Now, there's a great research paper, Wilson Sy, Capitalists and Economic Growth Across the World. Um, you can uh, go online, you can download the entire research paper, look through it. I think it's one of the more simplest and better examples of uh, capitalism versus socialism, government involvement, how it affects growth, and also the definition not being political. Um, so you can check that out and look at it. And I think it would surprise a lot of people within the standing of the United States. Now, why, why we even bring this up and talk about this? Because I think it goes counter to most people and how they think when we're talking about capitalism as a political structure and socialism as a political structure. Meaning that they would say America is very capitalistic, right? Why somewhere like, you know, Hong Kong or something may not be. And uh, if you look, though, at the how those countries are working, it actually flies kind of in the face of that. Now, there's obviously way more things that are involved in this. So to, to, as we walk into this, we first have to set the stage of when we're talking about individual, individuals, capitalism working for you, you working within it. Let's start at what we're working with. And so we're starting kind of broad and moving down. Now, when we look at what, how we are working within our capitalistic system, the vast majority of us that are listening to this podcast are in the United States. Um, the United States capitalist system is very unique because capitalism had always been um, held back uh, by certain things. And these certain things had to do with uh, mainly government structures. And when we look at it, um, there was no there was no good structure to preserve the ownership and use of capital over the long term of individuals. When America came in, it was very, very strong on individual rights and liberties and that protected the use of things like property rights, which protected them from the government and dictatorships and ownerships, um, ideas. Yes, patents were available in Europe, but it wasn't the same. So patents in America cost 5% of the cost to get a patent, which opened it up to everyone. 
And then also it did something very unique where it made you register it publicly, which allowed you to, what it did is protected the profits, but made it public to encourage innovation, meaning somebody could see it and they could make another variation of it. They could expound upon it, but yet your patent and your profits would still be protected. So individual property rights and then idea rights, right? of individuals protected from the government um, and contracts. More specifically, the setup of businesses and corporations. Uh, if there's any defining culture of America, America is a country of business. Why? Because America, we didn't have endowed rights and and lineages that said you were, you know, uh, a, a knight or or there was nothing that installed that social class through bloodlines. Instead, social class in America was driven by economic factors and everybody could achieve it. And so what America did a really good job in was business, taking things, making them better, figuring out production lines, mass expansion, and Americans thrived on this, uh, both cultural, economic um, components. Now, uh, the important thing when we look at America and capitalism in America was that it was protected by a republic, not a democracy, meaning that this system, right? Now, we're talking politics. So capitalism is a system. In America, the political structure being a republic, not a democracy, it protected individuals from concentrated powers. So anytime you have a concentration in wealth, like monopolies, anytime you have a concentration in, in wealth, it's bad. Anytime you have a concentration in power, political, it's bad. And the rights that were set upon that we have were really meant to fight against those things, right? So um, it, the system was supposed to create a, a more of a playing field where the government couldn't pick winners and losers and the government wasn't allowed to be the winner and it couldn't infringe on those things. So it protected individuals' rights to capital, productions, uh, production, and um, their ability to create and produce. Now, this was what opened up the world to innovation. Because of those protections and rights, the low cost, the abundant resources of the United States, that fueled a, a wave of innovation that had never before seen. And it's really important to individual rights, including when we look at it, um, liberal, uh, liberalism, the individual, uh, uh, the individual's overall rights like slavery. When you look at slavery, slavery was done across the entire world, had been forever. Um, every single nation, every single people participated in slavery. Uh, America participated it. Everyone participated it, in it. In fact, um, it, was, it was the norm, right, for basically entire history of the world. Now, in America, the Industrial Revolution created the way for businessmen and for capitalism to create means of productions that were not relied upon by slaves, which was done in the North with their big factories. And that 
growth and that progress has always in the world, not just America. You see it in Europe as well as other places. Economic progress is individual rights and freedoms progress. Why? Because you take away power from centralized places and you disperse it amongst the people. They can then, they have power. Economic power is the offset to uh, kings, dictators, and things like that. So it, it was, it's a form of liberty. And it was this form of liberty that the United States put in our Bill of Rights. And it protected individuals in a way that the rest of the world had really never seen. And it, I think that as we look at this overall movement that has gone through, which, frankly, America as a America as a political structure, or excuse me, a government structure, right? This is a a, a, a large experiment. Okay, capitalism was here before. It, it was here before. It will be here after. It'll never go away. The world can't leave it because it is the most successful system that has ever been created. And our lifespan has doubled. Um, our our lives have gotten irreversibly better it's not even it's hard to comprehend prior to the invention of italy in the banks and the system of risk and diversifying risk which opened up trade which created loans and the uh da vinci uh family i think that's right i might get that wrong but uh how they um set up and were allowed capital to be dispersed to individuals, which gave them rights that people had never seen. It's one of the great defining things of Europe, which led to the Renaissance in it, and so much came about it. And when you look at this process, it's interesting that we're in a time where we say there's so much arguments on capitalism that somehow it's broken, somehow it's failed. Now. I'm going to, we have interviews, multiple interviews with people already backed up. We're trying to set the stage here as we move into it um, to understand, once again, political leanings, it doesn't matter, the system of capitalism set up, how we work within it. Because your ability to, first of all, have and use capital to produce is in an is inherent to just being alive and functioning. And I think that we have gotten so far away in the United States of actually understanding the capital part. We don't teach it. We don't learn it. The fundamentals of capital, how you use it, no one even knows. They don't understand it. And this has warped the idea of capitalism, what it is, how it works, and it has created massive mental barriers from people which is hard for me to grapple with people in the United States um, saying that they don't have a lot of opportunity. Uh, the migration into the United States since the 1980s has been incredible, more than the United States has ever seen. I mean, just blowing out any known records of migrations to the Americas. And that has consisted time and time again. Why? Because America has one of the greatest social mobilities from poverty to middle class. Now, in today's world, the problems that America has is that social mobility from middle class to upper class to wealthy. That's where a lot of the challenges exist. 
And that's something that I want to fight against. And I want people to understand how to break out of that and to move up. In fact, in America, the people moving from poverty to the middle class represents like 66% of all people that are born into poverty move up to the middle class. Meaning that if you stay in poverty, you are not the norm, right? You are actually, the norm is that you will not be in poverty in America. That is so unique throughout the world. So when we look at now the next layer, which let's just be honest, very few people listening to this podcast are in real poverty. Uh, my father had a did not have indoor plumbing. He had to poach for food. He had to use an outhouse. My father's not old, he's 60. He had to use an outhouse in the freezing high deserts of uh, Idaho. They didn't have anything. First time he even had a burger was when he was like 12. Uh, indoor plumbing, once again, was something that was amazing. Um, he, that was poverty, right? Very few people in America, even the people that are considered in poverty, have homes. They have iPhones. They have food, right? They have, we have social nets that didn't exist even 30 years ago. Now, how do people get out of those lower classes are stuck or even just the treadmill of middle class. That's what we're dedicated to here. The use of capital. The use of capital in your life as a component of creation. How you change your ideas, your mindsets around money and turn money into capital and capital as a tool for creation. And this is what sets you apart and learn the things that are not taught in schools. Um, we are so unique. 67% of American uh, Americans are homeowners today. And the 1900s, that was 19%. Uh, Americans are so wealthy, so wealthy. It, it, it is insane how wealthy we are and what we have. So first of all, let's set the stage. We move forward. We want to talk and understand about the use of capital personally in your life as a means of creation in the form of creating a better life for you and others. Um, it is a tool, and it is a tool that is the most misused tool, especially to Americans, because we view it now as a function of consumerism, not creation. That is not how it used to be in America. That is a relatively new phenomenon. We do not teach the use of capital in schools outside giving it to Wall Street. I have major issues with that when the idea of capital use is to give it to Wall Street and just keep giving it to them till you die and hopefully you'll be okay. Um, once again, the securitization of pensions and retirements and the Wall Street um, instruments at, for the masses were really good for Wall Streeters and not really good for the middle class. And that allowed us to not have to think about use of capital. Instead, we're going to farm that to other people. Then we don't have to teach it. We don't have to understand it. We just go to work. We do our thing. We come home. We can watch TV. Somebody else will take care of that for us. Um, and that's not how it should be. We have to take personal responsibility over the capital that we have and how we use it. 
Um, and we can't be surprised when nothing happens when we give it to somebody else on Wall Street on these big companies. It's one of the reasons why I am such a big believer and what we do and why I do it. Um, we allow equity participation, real ownership in the economy, not giving it to a fund or something else, actual ownership of assets that give tax benefits, create wealth and income. It is what we are creating. And we have this idea that we're saving capitalism, meaning that we're directly allowing people to come in and own a piece of it and have capitalism work for them, right? We believe that you save capitalism from the bottom up, not the top down, not political. Politicians don't, that's not, we don't expect them to save anything. That's not what we're expecting them to do. The more people that participate in capitalism, the better we all are the more uh, we all benefit and the better off our society is. The problem with capitalism today is that so few participate in it. That's the problem. And that the participation is concentrated. And it's concentrated amongst the people that are using it and compounding it and frankly using everybody else's. There's a great book, you gotta see, Where Are All the Customers' Yachts? And it's a story about um, a little boy on a tour at Wall Street. And the tour guide looks out on the dock and he says, look out there, that's where all the investment bankers' yachts are. And the little boy set, looks up and says, where are the customers' yachts? An investment banker is there to make investments for himself, right? And that is the problem. So understanding direct ownership in the economy versus idly sitting by why other people use your money to create and benefit from the economy. So the benefits that come, both taxes, um, wealth, as far as equity growth, cash flow, compounding, right, your capital, how to use it smartly. Smartly, I don't even know if that's a word, but how to use it correctly and be smart about it um, is really important. And that is done in long form discussion. I really, really believe this. I believe it's, it's a part of not only changing mindset, but understanding the in, ins and outs of how the world works, which once again, is just not talked about. I mean, we don't, it's not like people go home and watch TV shows about how the economic system works, where capital goes, how it's used. That's, they go watch something else. They go to work and they're doing a function within a business, right? But they're not expanding their knowledge. America's culture has changed into a culture of consumerism. And that culture has overtaken society. It's overtaken our educational world where we are not focusing on things like the economy, capitalism. In fact, we have so much jargon, I think that it really makes it difficult to understand. And we talk about it in ways that give it stigmas and make, well, economics seem boring, really boring. And that's far from the truth. And everyone's interested in economics when it's presented in a different form, like making tons of money or the wolf of Wall Street and investing in that light. Uh, the truth is that these things are incredibly interesting that explain how the world around you works and how we work within the system. It also tells us how we can make that system benefit us. But 
we have an educational system that makes capitalism and entrepreneurship seem that it's bad and it's set up in a system that doesn't operate within it. The public school system acts more like socialism. There's little incentives for them to actually have good outcomes on the students. The United States school system is failing and it's failing on the basic stuff, on math and science. It is definitely not succeeding in telling us how the economy and how entrepreneurship and capital and the United States work, even though those are probably the most important things for you to understand. Just as much as the natural world is important to understand, the man-made world is important for you to understand. How can you expect to work within it? This is a huge problem. My wife started an entire school for kids through K through high school because of this problem. It's one of the main reasons that I teach and try to educate people about what's happening and give it context and understanding why we are at the spot what we are, what it, the future looks like. And with that understanding, you have a lot more, not just seeing, not just able to see opportunity, but you lower your risk. You have less anxiety about the future. I know that helped me a lot. It feels so much like you're out of control. You have recessions and ups and downs, and you just don't know what's going to happen in the future. Now, because of that, you start to view risk as much higher than it either really is, or you actually view it wrong. Thinking risk like having a job is safer than having cash flowing assets. Well, my job turned out to be the riskiest thing I could have. I was paralyzed from head to toe. I was put on life support and I was fired from my job in the hospital. I had no control over that. I didn't own it. I didn't own that revenue and it could be taken away from me at any time. Luckily for me, I had been investing and starting businesses and it was capitalism that saved mine and my family's financial life because we were directly participating in it. We owned assets. And as the economy grew, those assets paid us and grew in value. When I was fired from my job, I was going to go home for the first time while I was in the hospital on Christmas. It had been months and uh, it was going to be Christmas morning. I was going to see the kids and I wasn't worried about losing my home. We just had our fourth child, uh, three months, I think it was three months old, four months old. And I wasn't worried about my wife having to leave me and the kids, her paralyzed husband and the kids to go get a job. And all I could think about was, I'm sure the kids are going to be spoiled. And that was when I realized this, how important this is. It's not about, it's not about fancy cars. It's not about, I think we just have painted such a superficial picture of capitalism that's not actually the reality at all of capitalism. And that stigma is come due to the lack of education around it. This is a big problem. And when I sat there looking out of my hospital bed at the snow coming down, I made a promise that I was going to teach other people about this and I was going to let others 
participate in it through my company. Until that point, we had never allowed investors. And I said, if I get out of here and I'm able to work again, um, I am going to allow others to invest alongside us. And so that's what I did. I got out and I started doing educational, started doing these podcasts. That is a big shift away from how I viewed risk. It was also a big shift of priorities and why I was doing what I was doing. Um, that shift came alongside, I think, a lot of liberty for me. Opening up, talking, having discussions. Um, I didn't really care much anymore. I didn't worry about having a job. With that though, over time, I think I did start to worry about things again. And one of the things that I don't want to do, I don't want to not be open about what I'm seeing happening, what my beliefs are. I wished that we came out very strongly about inflation. And I thought at one point I was getting annoying. Some people were arguing with me that there wouldn't be inflation. And I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna stop talking about this. And it's exactly what I didn't want to do and didn't want, I, I, I want to be very open because I know that others who haven't either been through cycles or don't have those resources, they don't know. They're not seeing what we may be seeing. And I want to be transparent with that. I also want to be transparent about my beliefs and how the world works, particularly the economy, capital, and money. It is very much not in a superficial way. Um, now, this podcast is meant to be centered around those deeper conversations, not surface level not just a simple, normal arc. I want to have a lot deeper conversations with people that are extremely knowledgeable. I want to dive into what we're seeing and what we're learning, what I'm hearing. And I do not believe that those things happen in short conversations. That is not these topics, the big topics, the important topics are not discussed in 15, 30 minute intervals. Sometimes they take two hours, even on a simple subject, because there's so much, and the deeper you go, the more you uncover, the more you understand. I have a very bad rote memory. It's because I'm ADHD and dyslexic. I do not regurgitate simply information. In order to know something, I have to understand everything about it. Uh, that's been a huge benefit for me, but also a downside, obviously, in schooling. It makes things a little hard. Um, but when I'm interested in something, I'm hyper-focused on it and I wanna know everything about it. And I love that, I'm so curious. And so when I get the opportunity to have discussions with amazing people, I wanna know all of it. And I don't wanna feel like I need to hedge that I shouldn't be asking certain questions, that I need to keep it moving along or surface level. I think that that is not true to my core beliefs. And I don't think that that's true to the discussions that I would have off um, Mike or off camera. Uh, the idea should be that the discussions that happen both on and off are the same and uh, not be self-censoring because I'm worried about something, um, but to be open both in my, my faults, where I'm wrong, where we've messed up, where there's plenty, where we've succeeded and how we hedge against not knowing because what I don't know is infinite. And that's a real thing that we take into account. This comes down to risk and how it is perceived and how we tackle that risk. 
managing your own capital, which th what this podcast is about, saving capitalism. We save capitalism from the bottom up, meaning the idea of saving capitalism that I had for my firm was that we, not politics, that you get more people participating. Once you get more people participating, you're saving capitalism for the individuals because capitalism, right, is your right and your ability to own capital and use it for means of productions as a tool of creation. We all have that, but most people do not have the education. They also do not have the opportunity. And in a society like especially America, where we have so much set up to protect and allow you to have this incredible, amazing benefit, it is a shame that it is so wasted. And I don't want that. And we believe that every single person that is now that we can bring into the system, let them participate directly, not through a stock, but I mean actual ownership, cash flow, equity, real growth, right? That capitalism works for everybody because that's how capitalism should work. It's about the individual's ability to have, create, grow capital. That's what it's all about. That's what the system's built for. Yet we're in a point in time where we're not using it. Capital is too consolidated amongst the hands of few. It's not being taught to the masses. And so many, the vast majority are just not, they're not even in the game. They're not participating. They feel that it's either too complex. They don't understand it. It's meant for somebody else. When that's, none of those things are true. But we do not have a culture, first of all, that talks about entrepreneurship, investing, the benefits of it, owning, controlling the things in your life, and that you are able to build and you are able to create the life that you want through it. Instead, it's superficial. We look at it negatively. Um, that's largely due to the lack of education. If I can help give that and give that opportunity, we can help capitalism save people just like it saved me. And in turn, the more people that we get into it, we can save capitalism. That is the goal of this podcast, is that we are helping people understand and participate in capitalism through the use of their capital. This is such a unique and amazing thing in the history of the world. And we want more people to be thinking about it and we want everyone to participate in it at some level. We think that that is not only the American dream, but our rights, but it's a choice. And so we need to educate and provide those opportunities. And in this podcast, we will have the deep discussions. We will try to peel back layers and have conversations that weren't had in school, aren't had now. And when you go home and you watch TV, people do not put these things in their lives. They're defaulting the government and Wall Street to do their building and make their decisions. And that is bad. That is very bad. And I hope that we can help change that, even if it's just a little. So thank you guys for joining me. 
I'm so excited for the upcoming podcasts, the deep dives. Please comment. Let me know who you want to hear from, what you want to hear about, and what you want me to discuss, what you want me to talk about in both economics, our companies, our capital. What are the topics that are most relevant today to you? I'm excited to get the experts in. We have absolutely amazing guests that are already done. We've already filmed the podcast. We've already, they're coming out, and um, I'm excited to share them with you. Thank you all.